0: For those of you who follow us on Instagram, you may remember we ran a competition recently for the best review of My Time Capsule, and the winner was Dave Giles, who wins this little advert. Do you enjoy an occasional whiskey? Well, whether you're an enthusiast or just intrigued to learn more about your weekly tipple or what to try in a cocktail, you might enjoy the Whiskey and Things podcast, hosted by Dave Giles and Nick Kent, featuring reviews, news and guests from the wider world of whiskey, as well as from music, the arts and media. So why not pour yourself a dram and give the Whiskey and Things podcast a taste on your favorite podcast platform or at whiskeyandthings.com. Hmm. All that talk of whiskey it made me thirsty. I might I might just have a little whiskey actually. Here we go. Yeah. There we are. Mm-hmm. Ah, lovely. mm Lovely. Yeah, there. Oh, oh, when? When? <laughs> Don't want to go over the top. Hmm. Well, let's get on with my time capsule. Cheers. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and in this podcast, I ask various guests to reveal the five things from their life they treasure so much that they would like to preserve them in a time capsule. Well, in fact, four things they cherish, and one that they regret and would like to bury in the ground and never have to think about again. My guest in this episode is the writer and comedian Athena Kukblenu. Athena is a member of the BBC Comedy Room and was awarded the BBC Felix Dexter Bursary for BAME Up and Coming Comedy Writers in 2020. She's also a BBC New Comedy Award finalist. She writes for Horrible Histories, The Russell Howard Hour, Radio 4's The Lenny Henry Show, Dead Ringers, News Quiz, News Jack, and The Now Show. And is a lead writer for the multicultural sketch show, Sketchtopia. She also contributes to children's BBC shows, The Amelia Gething Complex, and Cracker Jack! Sorry, Force of Habit. Athena has performed stand-up all over the world to great acclaim. She's been a guest on Mock the Week, the News Quiz, and the Radio 4 Extra Comedy Club, and she's a regular co-presenter of Luke's Ends. She's penned pieces for The Guardian and Time Out, and she's the host of her own podcast, Keeping Athena Company, where she interviews interesting people whilst eating fried plantain. She's also the mother of a beautiful child, a child that usually has a nap around the time we recorded this chat over the internet. Usually. Anyway, have fun. (music) Athena, what's your first item?
1: So um, as it was a time capsule, I thought I would just talk about little things that represent big things. And I thought the first item might feel... Why are you talking about this? It's something you've urinated on. Why would you want to put this in the time capsule? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, people would find it. They'd be like, oh. Um, but it's basically the pregnancy test that I took. Oh, yeah. To tell me I was pregnant. And and I'm holding the results of that test right now. Yeah. Backflipping. Oh. Anyway, the pregnancy test, because um, you won't know this, but I had a very surprised baby. Um, mm-hmm. We're together now about the time. Me, myself, and my partner, we'd only known each other for about maybe eight weeks if I'm generous.
0: Wow.
1: <laughs> eight weeks if I'm generous, probably a little less, probably a little more. I can't I can't remember. Uh, so I've got yeah. a joke about my child being a Tinder surprise because <laughs> it was a very weird time for me because I was planning to do lots of things in my career. I was in my flat. I was still working. <laughs> full time at the time mm. as well as well as, as performing and writing comedy and I'd always known I'd wanted to be a parent yeah but I just thought oh my gosh it was I don't know have you ever gone into your bank account and seen that you're like five thousand pounds overdrawn and you weren't expecting it you know you thought you'd yeah. maybe have ten thousand pounds in your bank account it was a bit like that it was a bit like my whole scenery changing in an instant yes. like waking up and suddenly instead of being in a flat in North London having a nice time.
0: With a future that you think you know what it is
1: yeah it was the most life-changing thing that happened and I was stunned it was like it was like getting an uppercut from Anthony Joshua <laughs> you know for a long time I had no happen in cartoons when characters get punched and they've got stars around their head and they're just wobbling yeah. around and their eyes are kind of little spirals their pupils are just whirlpools for weeks I was I'd drive to work I was living in London I was working in Bedford at the time and I'd keep missing my exits <laughs> you know I'd end up in like Milton Keynes and all kinds of random places but then what happened I was like oh okay it's just fine now
0: and I got over it. So do you just keep repeating the phrase to yourself I'm pregnant?
1: Well more like there's a baby in me, baby. you know, like, like, it's really weird. I think there's a lot of people who think about these kind of things. I think about having babies and getting married. I was always more practical than that. I was never really a romantic. Mm. Uh, I was always very scientific about this kind of thing. Do you have babies, You give birth to them? You know, I never really thought of children as miracles. And then, and then you have one and then you realise there's seven billion bloody miracles in the world, yeah, all right? The time. Just, yeah. And you just don't think I never thought of it like that. So it was being forced to think about something I had hadn't really given that much thought to and not only was I forced to do that it's it was something really significant it wasn't like being forced to think about the premier league or you know (laughs) you know it wasn't like when rugby league went professional and I was like oh my god this is life changing it was something that just happened in the background I kind of knew of it and it seemed like a big deal at the time and I got over it but this was like having to think about something just Huge. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is huge um it is It is. big and especially if you were the person I was at the time which was um you know I was <laughs> I got pregnant with a guy I met and I knew him for eight weeks that kind of tells you all you need to know about what I was like <laughs> okay. in those days uh, but it wasn't it wasn't as bad as it sounds but at the same time it was what it is exactly what it was
0: so yeah I think that maybe the moment you find you're pregnant is the same for everyone. Even if you're planning it, you're trying for it, you're still hit by the enormity of it all.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it's, I would say, though, it's it's more enormous if it's a bolt from the blue mm. and you're in a circumstance that isn't accommodating to babies.
0: No. So you weren't really together then as a couple?
1: Well, we were seeing each other a lot. But it wasn't just that. It was my practical circumstance. Honestly, I'd leave my house at six in the morning and get back in at one at night. You know, yeah, that's yeah, what you yeah. do when you work full time and you're a performer. And when I was at home, I was writing or I was doing family things with my, you know, I was caring for my mum and things like that. Mm. Um, so it was more like well, there's no space for a baby. And then knowing I was committed to having her meant I have to make this space. So I had to, yeah. And I then, But then it became very, then I became very, because I'm a project manager. It was like once I'd gotten over all that, I was like, right organize okay <laughs> work okay I've got to deal with work I've got to get a I, and I was a contractor so I was like right I need to get a contract that's going to end in July so I can go to Edinburgh and mm. I can do a run in Edinburgh and sort of just get a bit of momentum in my career before I take a career break and I told my mum um coincidentally on April Fool's Day um
0: so <laughs> which yeah so, yeah good one
1: <laughs> well she she believed me um but she then told my brothers who didn't which is um like, I don't know why you would lie to your brothers about being pregnant. Very no. odd. Um, so that was quite funny. And then she was like, oh, Athena, you know what? When you have your baby, this is amazing news. You know what? You can come around and visit whenever you want. Uh, and she was like... No, no, I moved in, actually. So I said, I just, great. I, said, I was like, I think, I'm going to visit exactly whenever I want. And I just, that was how I that was how I dealt with the, that situation because I wasn't getting maternity leave. I wasn't going to be able to perform as much. No. And so I was like, so my daughter's just taking my credit card. They know okay. exactly what to nick. Do you know what I mean? There's, <laughs> there's bits of paper here. There's a Post-it note, but she's nicked the credit card. All right, go on then. Um, I should
0: just it about that. Um, the great thing, I think, Athena, is that it never seemed to... Enter your mind, then, that you should stop what you were going to do.
1: No, 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 because I knew I wanted to be a parent. I was thirty. I'm so. I'm one of those people that doesn't remember their age. I was thirty-five or thirty-six. Um, when she was conceived. So I was like, if you want kids and you're that age, you probably should just have them. Yeah. Um, and I've always been, um, <laughs> my daughter is waving. That. Now she's waving at you now, which is lovely. Um, <laughs> so you've got, she's like, she basically picks up uncles and aunties wherever she goes. Yeah. So this is another one. We've got another one. Well done.
0: We're just yeah. waving to each other. We're having a great she's time. She's like,
1: I've got the credit card. Let's go shopping. <laughs> That's
0: what she's going. Um, I've got your pin number there. That's all right.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah. Without wanting to sound too arrogant, I'm probably the kind of person that should be having kids. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I'm privileged, I'm educated, I'm a creative, I've got various degrees... I like being a progressive person. I like, how, I like trying to make the world a better place. You know, I had a good family network. My mum lived alone, in, you know, it's not a massive house, but there was enough space. Got two brothers. Yeah. So I just thought, you know, like I've got the qualities to give a baby a happy life. Mm. Um, and lots of people try to have babies and they can't, you know, yeah. it costs yeah. them tens of thousands of pounds and it's a heartbreaking thing. And I'd always been of the mindset that it's a privilege to have children Mm. Um, and it's an even bigger privilege to be able to accommodate them with a certain amount of comfort which was what I was able to do but partly because I'm not a very materialistic person so I didn't think I think the biggest myth about babies is that they're expensive Mm. I think children are expensive they get me wrong when they get older they get expensive but for the first couple of years babies
0: are easy aren't they really you can take them anywhere you can do anything you like it's exactly.
1: Once you have the accommodation, so somewhere to live and sleep, and you've got so you know, and you can you can feed yourself um, what she's got those basic shelter requirements. Yeah, yeah. They literally just. I mean, look, she's got my credit card. And this is it now. She's got so many toys. She's got a lawnmower <laughs> that blows bubbles, and she oh, wants to yeah. play with my credit card.
0: I've got grandchildren. I know all these toys. <laughs> I've bought every one exactly. of
1: them. <laughs> yeah, although we did give her because her dad plays golf. I bought her a little mini <laughs> golf set. She's very into that because she she can hit things with it. <laughs> yeah. the golf clubs. Um, I had
0: children when I was very young, so my wife was only twenty one. I was twenty. 20- two and just turning 23 oh, wow. and so really I'd never established in my life anything as an adult I'd never established oh, my yeah. adult life so my adult life's always had children in it
1: you've always been a parent yeah so
0: I didn't really feel that I had anything to give up
1: no absolutely I think it's um again I speak with a certain amount of privilege because like I said I'm um, I kind of'm a, a very laid back and relaxed person anyway, and I'm a very practical person. but like you do fit your lives around them quite mm. easily, especially when they're this young, yeah, literally yeah. like in the first year of her life she just was just stuck to me and I literally just carried on as normal.
0: <laughs> did you ever take her on stage?
1: Um, no, only when I was pregnant. So I did a lot of performing when I was pregnant. I went to Edinburgh pregnant and I was working on my due date doing various <laughs> filming things and recordings. But no, I don't take her on stage purely because I don't... I try and keep her away from social media. Yeah, and, yeah. Anyway, I said they don't, they don't get in the way. You can work them <laughs> I them, but here they are.
0: Fed up about Best, that. Oh,
1: okay. Okay, do you want to
0: look at, if You, you, give you, me two you seconds, take as long as I. If you want to pause, if you think you might want to go to sleep, you do what you need to do.
1: Thank you for your patience. Give me a couple minutes and we'll see how this works.
0: No, I've got all <laughs> afternoon. You take any time you like. Are you like.
1: ready for your nap time now? Because you can't have these headphones right now. You're a monster. Okay, you're going to wave Bye. goodbye? Yeah, Bye. there's a wave. Wave goodbye. Bye. All right, come on, little girl. Oh. Okay, see you in a minute. <laughs> come on.
0: And so Athena went off to try and persuade her daughter to have her afternoon nap. Or maybe she'd just put her in front of the telly. Anyway, when she came back, we continued our conversation. What did you study at university? Um, I studied
1: history and cultural studies at university, yeah. yeah, which was a very informative, if not lucrative, degree to do. Um, yeah, but yeah. Um, it was... I think it's weird. I think with tertiary education you could really learn a level of critical thought that is denied to you via secondary school and and your high school and college years. Mm -hmm. And so it can really set you up for for things that they may not be initially vocational connections. So, you know, if you're an accountant or a lawyer or an economist or a doctor. um, But I guarantee you, I would not be the comedian I was today without those three years of study. Absolutely not. I learned so much about critical thought and the world and social theory and, and uh it was a very eye-opening thing and i always have to remember that i did three years at uni so when i go on twitter and someone says something stupid mm-hmm. it's like oh, okay well you know i did you know i did do i wrote dissertations <laughs> on this you know um so that's what we have to remember as well it's like a lot of the yeah. stuff which and yeah. self-criticism as oh well, yeah which is massively important. there's a there's a term that isn't really in popular use called reflexivity which is all about you have an opinion but you have to always understand that you hold that opinion because of who you are, where you come from, yeah. and you could have easily come from anywhere else, and then you'd think the same. And you have to, and I, you, I find myself having to apply that more and more when I think about. You know Trump and Brexit and things like that. Like mm. it's not them. It's sometimes it's just where they come from. The same way you are, you are where you come from. Blah blah blah. So yeah,
0: yeah. It's very easy to become angry about somebody who thinks differently from you. Yeah, but they may well do that because of their entire culture, because of their upbringing.
1: It's a bit like seasoning meat. Yeah. If you get a chicken and you, and you make it like jerk chicken, or if you get a chicken and you make it like sweet and sour chicken, they're going to taste different. You know, they're going to be fundamentally yeah. different. You've got <laughs> two different meals there. People are like that. We marinate. We marinate in our culture and yeah. our families and our ideas and what we're exposed to, uh, in our wants, um, you know, um, in our, our different needs to be accepted by different people, blah, blah, blah. So we end up in different places and mm-hmm. it, you know, it's very difficult to bring people together which is why people use polarizing things to keep control because it's really easy to polarize yeah yeah so it's i think those ideas are the ideas we probably need to think about more rather than saying these people are wrong they probably are wrong but they're probably right to think the way they think based on their background does that make sense
0: yeah Um, yeah absolutely so if,
1: if you had had their life you'd probably think that way too um indeed so.
0: absolutely and also the narrowness of a life quite often mm. if it's actually confined within a very small area with very little experience of anything else why would you understand those other things
1: yeah this i'm from north london i from a good area, I went to a terrible school, I have African heritage, I have Indian heritage, you know, I'm always mixed with different classes and different peoples, and was never ashamed to read into anything, so I could have massively wide cultural taste. so that has resulted in mm. a fairly cool person, you know what I mean, fairly cool ingredients, <laughs> you know, even if I say so myself, and not everybody, you you and, I, and I do all the time, um, but not everybody has that, some people grow up in much more insular environments, which is another reason why a big thing is like how... How do we give people access to you know so things like shutting libraries are something that made me very angry i remember I, I went to campaign against them they were going to shut my local library i studied in that library you know so yeah that was unacceptable to me and just what a great thing going to your library and all the things that i have access to you have access to you know mm. um so how do we broaden people's horizons so i'm from london i loved it when they made buses free for young people Because now, all of a sudden, all these kids who care about their postcodes can get on a bus and go wherever they want, you know? And I don't think people really understood the value of that um, because they didn't understand that not everybody has that freedom.
0: No. And the concept of coolness, though, and that sort of thing, it is personal. (laughs) Even if people say, oh, you're really cool, generally it's how you feel about yourself. So, in fact, you know, you will see someone walking down the street with the most awful mullet (laughs) and you can see they think they're cool coolness
1: is self-expression and the freedom of it when I say I'm cool I really mean I'm just I try and be sensible but coolness is a kind of Mm. ethereal state of being or whatever it's just (laughs) it's just the contentment to express yourself in a way that you choose without having to defend it
0: contentment that's a a marvellous thing to be content oh
1: yeah and I wasn't always content you know and I think because I remember what I was like I know even more like oh okay this is I'm a much happier person now than I was you know, 20 years ago because I know 20 years ago I would have agonised over things that I don't care about now because I know they're not important.
0: Yeah, so do you think that uh, incredibly dramatic moment of suddenly, well, pissing on a stick (laughs) (laughs) and going, oh, my word, I didn't expect this, that's bound to change you, isn't it? That's bound to create the person you are now.
1: Yeah, I'd even go so far to say... It didn't really change me at all. It it changed the setup of my life, how I needed to live, how I needed to work things out financially. It changed me practically. And I think I probably became, parenting comes with anxiety uh, because you worry. You get a a form of worry that you've never had before in your life. And so it kind of heightened the kind of my sense of worry because you worry about your kids. Uh, well, I'm not that worried. I've shut the door and stuck the TV on and <laughs> go and watch. <laughs> I'm not that worried about it now, but um, genuinely speaking, I worry about her obviously. Um, yeah. You know, I wasn't used to being anxious really before I had a child. But generally, I kind of, I kind of just was like, oh, I've got a kid now. I basically like, you know, when you like buy one, get one free, it's the same thing, when that is another one there. Um, but it hasn't, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm probably marginally more responsible. You know, I wouldn't, I used to perform all over, well, all over the country. And, you know, I used to happily sit in my car for four or five hours and go to some gig in a mountain, mm. literally mountain, especially going to Wales and then, do the gig and just I'll just drive back and it'll be fine like I probably I don't do that I don't do that anymore um so I t- I'll probably take fewer risks but generally speaking I'm kind of not that's different and that goes back to me being really quite sure about knowing I was going to have this baby because I was like that well, if I'm not ready to have a baby now I don't know who's going to be ready you know what I mean like I always yeah. knew in my head that this wouldn't be a big deal um and it was really nice, actually. I didn't tell anyone, apart from my family, I didn't tell anyone I was pregnant for ages. People either found out when they saw me or I just, you know, I would have told them because it became necessary. And their responses were like, oh my God, this is amazing. Your kid's going to be this, your kid's going to be that. She's going to be like reading by the time she's six months and blah, blah, blah. So that was a very um, ego boosting, you know, it would be awful if you told people you're pregnant. and They were like, oh, oh dear, <laughs> you no," not uh, You know, it really affirmed that decision. To sort of continue and it also made me think that, like I said, like if you're busy and if you're a sensible, educated, intelligent person and you haven't got kids and you don't want them, that's fine. But if you do want them, don't worry too much about how you fit your life in around them. You can, to a certain extent, just, they just slot in really um, yeah, yeah, life goes on. Oh, I have to, there was one big change and that's actually going to relate to the next thing on my list. Oh, great. Um,
0: okay, well then we'll take your pregnancy test and we'll put that into the time capsule. That's the first item. So let's move on to the second item.
1: So in 2005, I did something called Run London and it was first, Time I'd run, and I still have the shirt, and that was, you know, and it still fits me, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and it, I did that at a time in my life when I was kind of transferring myself from being very, I think, I wouldn't say irresponsible, but I lived my life in a fairly indulgent kind of fashion. You know, I was in my twenties, and I was in, I guess, a nice job for that my age. I was working in Camden, which in London, if you know it, is a very nice place to be if you're Mm. in your 20s and in a nice job and in the okay range and
0: it's got everything you want yeah
1: it has and I was living at home for various reasons and I sort of was feeling a little bit well, if this is what life is, let's just let's just have a good time, not a long time, whatever the saying is. I can't remember the saying. I'm very bad at <laughs> the And then eventually something, I don't know how this happened, but I started to get interested in doing other things. And I started to get interested in running. And I wanted to put that shirt in because it signifies a massive change in me. That was a change for the better, which was finding a kind of balance in my life that I think we kind of neglect in our conversations these days because we talk a lot about um body positivity which i think is hugely important but at the same time we've got all these clean eaters out here kind of telling you to eat drink water for 14 days and then have a watermelon and (laughs) you know and then like try and function And this is also and actually like it's such a cliche but we've literally forgotten the obvious thing which is just Balance like humans are living things. If you have a plant and you stick it in the corner and you don't give it any sunlight, you don't water it, and you don't feed it the right things, the plant dies. And we are plants, we are human, biological, massive chemistry machines that are all things working. Mm. And I'm, once I started to embrace that, redress that imbalance in my life, which is basically. Drinking kebabs, pizzas, fried <laughs> chicken, more drinking, um, never did drugs, always drank. Drinking was enough for me. And I couldn't. Have, I mean, I always found drugs really expensive, um, so I never did them. But I drank a lot and I had a nice time. And I started to get towards kind of challenging myself to be a healthier, fitter person whilst not being so boring. I still didn't <laughs> enjoy a, a San Miguel every now and again. And, and I like that. And the reason why I say it changed because if there was one thing that I couldn't prioritize anymore. It was my physical fitness. After I'd had my baby, I used to go to the gym maybe three times a week, and I mm. used to—I was a cycle commuter when I worked, so I cycled every day almost um, and I would get up on a Saturday and I'd happily do six fast miles when I say six miles I mean they were fast miles Michael really don't underestimate me that was good (laughs) and now I've got you know we've got a spin bike and I might go in it once a fortnight and that was for me huge change when you dedicate yourself for over 13 14 years to you know nihilism (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah basically yeah and just and then all of a sudden you get soft. And then to be happy with that, that wasn't, yeah, so that changed. And I, I, that my priority changed. And I realised all this work I was doing in the gym and all the obsession I was placing on my 5K times and yeah, whatnot. Yeah.
0: yeah, how important it is. Although my my daughter runs her 5K every day and is very keen on the time. But she <sighs> now has that joy of having passed it on to her children. So her son, who's eight, runs with her.
1: Oh, uh, I mean, that's beautiful. And I think when I, you know, one of the reasons why I had to sort of knock it on the head with my daughter was when I was living with my mum, I didn't really have the childcare. No. And I, when I had childcare, it was, I would use it for work. I didn't want my to take up the time with my friends and family for me to go off and arse about in a gym. Um, and um, even now, like now I live with my partner, it's still a real childcare issue because of work and things. Mm. But I'd love to get back to that. And we do, yeah, I think it's such an important thing. To, to instill in people because you get so much confidence out of it. Yeah, you know, you would really do. I was a very shy and unconfident child because I just didn't feel, you know, these things were things that I would look good doing. But that doesn't matter. Or these, I not think these are things I was capable of. But that doesn't matter because you're capable of what you're capable of at the time, and you get better yeah. because you improve. Yeah. Um, you know what hearing that your daughter runs five every day is made me feel quite competitive now I'm like oh
0: damn <laughs> you want to and get back say, out there yeah 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 I did,
1: yeah <laughs> uh, so um but so I'll never lose that and I still care about those kind of things but it doesn't stress me out anymore um no and- but it's
0: a thing for life you know I mean I love it when I see what well, people of my age running you know I, I do occasionally run I did start the couch to 5k and got to the arm of the couch
1: <laughs> next you've got to get to the radiator okay you get a yeah, move yeah. from the couch yeah the thing about running is it's not for everyone so and some oh my people, wife hates it my wife oh, hates God. It. there's nothing worse than going out running with somebody who hates running you just think oh, mm. goodness just go home you are give me a headache you know so you've got to find what you like and I walked so I'm a big walker so that's the thing that replaced running. So I would walk everywhere. Like if it was three miles or less, I feel like it's a walkable distance for me. yeah, it's it under an hour. So easily walkable. And with your buggy, you know, that's an easy thing to do. The um, joy of
0: London, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can basically walk almost anywhere in it.
1: Wherever you are in London, if you walk three miles in any direction, you'll get to a high Street. that has everything you need, you know? So that's really, really fortunate. You know, not everybody can do that. Some people have to to walk 20 miles. You know, (laughs) there are some places I perform comedy where you're driving for hours and you think there's nothing here. How do people live? So it's uh, (laughs) – no wonder they laughed a lot. This is all they have. I'm not funny. It's just this place is isolated. Yeah. Um, So
0: (laughs) So did you start with Run for London when you started doing this or, or was that the culmination of it?
1: That was the culmination of it. I think I started just running mm-hmm. and I didn't have the confidence to, like I said, I always used to feel embarrassed about the idea of running. And then one day, was genuine, I always, I still remember it to this day. I was at home and I was like, I really just want to go for a run. And so I went and that was it. And I spent my whole life up to that point thinking if people look at me running, they'll think I'm just, I oh, was just a fat girl trying to lose weight or they'll think I'm this or they'll think I'm that. I just suddenly, I had all these, invented voices in my head giving me commentary that would deter me from running and one day I just thought let me go out for a little saunter mm. and, and that was it and then I just started and th- that show represents a finishing the first 10k which is like a, very, a milestone distance I think in running but it, it also it represents kind of like not just the culmination or something but the start of it becoming quite an important thing to me mm. Running's a wonderful way to um it's almost like a physical therapy for your body. So you can go to see a therapist and you can talk through the things that happen in your brain. Mm. But running is like the same thing for your body. And I can't explain why that is. I think it's because it's running and perhaps rowing. They're probably the most strenuous physical things you can do. Probably cycling too. But I would say running because it has the physical aspects. It was the cardio. Mm. And then it means once you've completed whatever it is you had wanted to complete, whether it's 5K or run up a hill or run from A to B, once you've done it, you get a real sense of, right, what's next? Yeah. You know, that's what running leaves you. It leaves you with a sense of, what do I do next? Which is very energising for yeah. me. Yeah.
0: If I run, I run with headphones in, but I have nothing in the headphones. So in fact, what it does is it concentrates my thoughts on the sound of my breathing. In a way, I suppose it's sort of slightly yogurish or- It's
1: very yogurish, And breathing and being out of breath are so important to us as physical beings. Mm. We often associate being out of breath with like a negative thing. Oh, it was so tiring. Oh, blah, blah, blah. When you look at children, yeah. their whole aim of every day is to get themselves out of breath as <laughs> soon as possible. It's like they wake up and they're like, right. <laughs> and, they, and it's, it's incredible. That And we remember that emotion, actually. We can remember what that was like being in the playgrounds. you know, at break time in schools or whatever, playing out with your friends in the summer holidays. Like, being out of breath is the objective, mm-hmm. you know, you, and then you want to, you know, that feeling where you say, oh, what do we do next? What do we do next? It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's lovely. And then somebody
0: says, chase me. And then you do.
1: Yes. Everyone calls it tag, it, whatever you kiss chase, We you want to call it. You know, these games are fundamental. And we lose that pleasure as adults, mainly because um, I can't pinpoint why. But we see getting out of breath is work. I think it's been kidnapped by, like I said, the clean eaters. So it's like, oh, yeah, go to the gym, do exercise, take a picture. And it's like, no, it's more spiritual than that. You know, it's not about attaining a certain body type or attaining a certain lifestyle that you want to show and have people to replicate. It's about inner peace more than anything.
0: Yeah. And you can do that at all sorts of levels, can't you? For example, as you say, just walking. Although I do occasionally see people who are walking so slowly that I think you must be breathing as if you're asleep. <laughs> There's no effort involved in it.
1: Oh, yeah. I will say I'm not a huge fan of slow walkers. And I'm always <laughs> checking. I'm like, I better see a peg leg or you better be 90 years old. There better be an excuse here because come on. So, yeah, I'm one of those awful people. <laughs> no,
0: no.
1: It's a very ableist thing to have a go at slow walkers, but sometimes they're just texting, which is very <laughs> annoying. I was walking through King's Cross Station once and someone was reading a book. I was like, Athena. Breathe. (laughs) How can you... King's Cross Station is a very busy station. Read when you get... Anyway, I'll get... It still pains me (laughs) to this day when I think about that person. But yeah, whatever you do, don't forget that, Generally speaking, putting your body through some kind of stress is always of benefit it's not a kind of hashtag living my best life nonsense it is actually like that is what we were put here to do we weren't put here to just sit in front of netflix and watch money Heist (laughs) back to back until the end
0: very true yeah as a reminder of that then i'm going to put your t-shirt into the time capsule so that's your second item athena what's what's your third item we're going to take a short break here for some adverts we hope we'll be back in a minute Welcome back. Okay, let's find out what else Athena cook would like to put into her time capsule.
1: The third item, I'm wearing it right now, which you can see it, your listeners won't see it, but it's it's this Casio. Oh, watch. yeah, yeah. yeah. Old-style Casio. Casio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of functional things. I said earlier, I'm not a very materialistic person. I'm not. I'm a nightmare with birthdays and Christmases. No one else wants to buy me. Mm. And I'm just like, just donate to a GoFundMe or something. You yeah. Know? <laughs> oh look who's back um my child's come back into the room um so i'm a big fan of casio's and i think um i wanted to put this in the time capsule because i guarantee you when it's dug up again in a thousand years time by aliens or composite humans made of robots and humans and all and androids this will still be working (laughs) it will it won't have lost a minute it will be accurate and they'll take it and they'll keep it for themselves and they'll pass it down to their children Yeah. and I love all Casios but mainly um, there's a particular Casio that terrorists use to set off their bombs I don't know if you know about that that's a great watch um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll pause this for a moment
0: oh, look look hello can you uh, hear me uh, you can hear can me can't he? you <laughs>
1: I need these back now I'm going to go back to the other room and we're going to put a TV on for you okay Yeah, I'm just going to put it back in front of the TV. Okay, so I'll be back shortly. Come on. (laughs) I'll start (laughs) this TV for you. All right. All right, she's sorted now.
0: So I was, I think I was about 12 when I got my first Casio. I got it for Christmas. Do you
1: still have it? It You must still have it. It still works.
0: I don't. don't, Do you know it lasted about two hours? (laughs) It was a watch in a moulded plastic band that you clipped over your arm. And a neighbour of mine came over for drinks and had too many drinks and went, let me try it on, let me try it on. And he tried it on and the watch came out of the band and the band broke. So he broke my watch. Two hours after I'd got it for Christmas.
1: Yeah, that's unacceptable. I will say, when I say the Casio's last forever, the actual watch bit does. The straps are terrible. Like yeah. the, the straps yeah. are just trash. <laughs> yeah, this one actually falls off all the time. I'm very vigilant with it. That's like...
0: Have you had it for a long time?
1: Yeah. So I, I'll give you a very particular reason why I bought it. I can have a stopwatch on it, but when I've got the stopwatch I can still see what time it is, and that's great for performing. Oh, yeah, so cool. I time my gig, but I'm also obsessed with always knowing what the time is so I always have it set on the stopwatch but I can always see that what the time is yeah 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 um, so <laughs> someone's someone's back
0: that's alright um, I showed somebody this watch it was my father's and I don't wear it because I don't want to lose it and he said oh that's a very nice watch oh it's worth about four grand and I said I don't care.
1: Yeah, it's that's not what it makes it gives it value to you. No, you know you could have given you a Casio and you'd keep that. If there's one thing I feel like I've witnessed the kind of expl- not explosion of it's always been this way, but if there's one thing I've seen become just so much more prevalent, it's sort of materialism. Hmm. People now aim to have careers as kind of influencers, but all influencers do is they influence you to buy stuff. They're making for you to stop dropping litter.
0: <laughs> yeah, quite. It's,
1: but it's true. Like, if we if we have all these influencers now, why aren't we influencing each other to just be better people? But it's normally like, I'm an influencer and I want you to buy this face cream. Or- yeah,
0: and more interested in being better dressed than being better. Yeah,
1: and I'm not sure that I... I'm, on one hand, it, it gives access to income... To people who might not have had access to this before so now before influencers quote-unquote only came from a narrow rural society you had to look a certain way that's mm. maybe subscribe to certain values and you had to pass through gatekeepers and they would decide whether you could be an really influencer and then you became one now you set up an instagram account and you can be one and that accessibility is probably um, a good thing yeah. but all we've given ourselves access to is the same kind of cesspit really <laughs> you know we don't have to be like people to to find that like freedom and that what we can do is we can really challenge the whole environment that we exist in if that makes sense
0: mm, yeah it does i've never paid more than 50 pounds for a watch i've never paid more than seven and a half thousand pounds for a car
1: oh i've done more on both wow i feel terrible now for saying i'm not materialistic. <laughs> i paid nine grand for my car i'll tell you a funny story about my car doing comedy did a lot of miles in, in cars, lots and lots of mileage. And I used to always buy my cars from men underneath flyovers. Do so, you know what I mean? I'd just go and find some creepy person, give them 500 and get a banger. My thing was always you buy a new car, change the filters, get an oil change, you're fine, right? And I learned that lesson over and over again. And then one day, yeah. um, I had this car that was just a nightmare and then one day I was driving on the, on the North Circular in London and the tyre exploded oh my God. and it couldn't have been more dangerous and I was like I'm buying a new car so I walked into my dealership, by this point I'd had savings. And this guy must have seen me come in from, like, He must have been like, oh, jeez. <laughs> and I was just like... And I did look on the website before, so I saw a car that I wanted. At that time, it was the plate of the year. And I was like, I want that car. Okay. I'm buying it now. Okay. Give me the keys. And, I, and it was the yeah. best decision I ever made. Because you know when you drive your car and all you do is hear noises you're not supposed to hear? Yeah. The stress that was eliminated from my life the day I bought a reliable car. Best nine grand ever spent. Buy the best car you can afford because I've had I had one car where I was driving down the M1, it was a Ford KA, and the bonnet just went, it flew up, um, and the it, and I was like, oh, this isn't good. So I pulled in, and the head gasket exploded. Uh, did you know they can explode? No, I didn't. Because my know. one did. Um and so it and it was that wasn't good. None. And I got that car for about like 250 quid. <laughs> to, of course the head gasket exploded, right? Um, and that's a right it's obviously a write off. um one car um Oh a car and a little polo that just gradually just fell apart bit by bit my mm. first car was one of those cars where if you had the windscreen wipers on the radio wouldn't work it's <laughs> yeah, one of those yeah. things
0: yeah inexplicable things like that I mean I look forward to all the developments that are happening in cars I always think oh great in about 10 years time I'll have that <laughs>
1: that's so true so i got bluetooth in my car and i was like this is great but everyone's had bluetooth for about 10 years (laughs) Uh, you know i got i mean even my air conditioner it was the first time i really had functioning air conditioning which is obviously not a a modern thing at all but you don't again it goes down to what you know what's valuable to you like everything that's valuable to me is, is in this car it's safe first of all it's reliable it's efficient And it works and
0: it's got space. Space. I bought one of those sort of seven seater things, Mm. but only so I could fit all my grandchildren in and I could take them all to the coast. And then of course, they were forbidden from seeing me. They we were
1: forbidden from seeing you because you have taken
0: to the coast all the time. No, because exactly.
1: of COVID. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. yeah. How did I forget? I'm so used to it. Yeah, you know, it's so sad because we, my mum is shielding mm. at the moment, so she misses her grandchild. Uh, my daughter, when she was born, my twin brother had his baby on the same day as me. No. She's got a twin cousin. I shit you not, Michael. That's true. Well, it's that's true. amazing.
0: Oh god! All those shared birthday parties—it's going to be fantastic. Oh, it's
1: already, it's already been great. They live in Australia, sadly. Oh. Um Yeah, but it was great. So when I found out I was pregnant, it was mortifying because my brother is—you know—he lives with his girlfriend, very respectable, and I'm like, oh god, like I've got, <laughs> got myself knocked up, and it's just so it was just a, that contrast made it look even worse than it was. Yeah. Um, but it never even occurred to me that we would have our babies on the same day. It never even occurred to me that was a possibility. And I had my child incredibly late. She was like, you only got a bag of shopping. it's too much shopping in it. That's what I was like. I was literally (laughs) bit to burst. And um, my sister-in-law had hers a bit early. So it was like the planets aligned. Something was in retrograde and they they came out on the same day. But you waited even Um, though you
0: were well overdue. You weren't induced or anything.
1: I was induced. I had to, I, in the end, I got induced because I yeah. got a bit concerned. And she came out well overcooked. She came out like a normal baby. Like, you know, <laughs> newborns are like...
0: came out reading books.
1: Oh, yeah. She was like, right, what's... What's coming up? Where's the breast? I need a bit of this now. Like, I'm tired of this cord. It's not doing what it used to. So she she come mm. out very. So there's I think have your kitchen when you want to, but I don't think there's anything wrong with a couple more weeks gestation. We come out too early anyway. Mm. So
0: let them cook. That's it.
1: Why yeah. not? And yeah. it's, do you know what? Your last few weeks pregnancy, it's such a cool time. Mm. You're just chilled. You're just waiting around. You're probably prepared. You're eating what you like. Yeah, I had a nice time. I was eating out every day. I was meeting my friends, going for nice walks. It was a really peaceful. And my cinema, my local cinema, did half price Mondays. <laughs> so I was like, this is brilliant. So I'd go to my cinema on the Monday and I'd have my little week schedule. So it was all great. And
0: without a doubt, people look fantastic, don't they?
1: What, when they're pregnant? When
0: they're really heavily pregnant.
1: I think it's a funny look. It's funny. I enjoyed being pregnant, I have to say. I don't know why I enjoyed it. I just thought it was a really, it was almost like there was an experiment happening in my body. And it was, I think for me, having spent so long trying to practice control over my life, you know, over my physical activity, over what I ate. And, Mm. you know, it was really nice to have that control taken away from me and to be happy with that. And that definitely improved me. You can't, you know, when you're pregnant, you're, you, you know, there are certain things that happen to your body that you cannot control. You all eat garbage because you just have to, you have to eat. I ate a lot of fish fingers pregnant. last pregnancy. A lot. <laughs> just ludicrous amounts of fish fingers.
0: Is that your craving? Fish fingers. I
1: craved beige food. So... Fish fingers, white bread, anything breaded, I just was really into. I don't eat meat, so it was all kind of like just fish fingers and weird processed vegan (laughs) nonsense things. (laughs) Linda McCartney sausages and just brown beige flavorless <laughs> food and I was quite skinny so I think my body was saying you need you, no no no. this is not gonna gonna sustain a child you are not gonna make breast milk out of skin and bone you gotta get eat those sausage rolls or whatever I found these vegetarian sausage rolls mm. got really into them so I ate uh, a lot of them they're nicer yeah. actually
0: I, I, Well, you wouldn't know because you don't eat meat but I think they're nicer
1: well s- s- I used to eat meat so this is my theory about me and I think it basically meat doesn't taste nice really it only tastes nice when you do things to it and sausages in particular that like it's the texture that people like our sausages it's the texture it's the fattiness it's the process <laughs> of frying them in the pan and having a spit so you can recreate that quite easily without kind of using the meat. Um the only meat that does taste nice is fish. Fish is delicious.
0: It is delicious. I love fish. I didn't love fish when I was young. When I was 21, I toured Australia, and we were doing very well, thank you. And we had lots of spare per diems. We ate in the most glorious fish restaurants all over Australia, and every time I had a steak.
1: What a waste.
0: I really regret it now.
1: Think of all that shrimp and lobster. And oh, John
0: Dory and amazing stuff. But there we are. You- That's my life. I've wasted it, thrown y- it away. Youth is wasted on the
1: young. If if, there was, if ever a story illustrates that, that that is the case. It's true. I mean, we season food with fish, right? Like, But it's very hard to season food with, like, cow.
0: I have my mother-in-law living with me, and she really only ever wants to eat meat, potatoes, and two veg. Oh, That's bless. what she likes to eat. <laughs> My wife constantly comes up with these amazingly inventive things, lots of vegetarian food, and she really struggles with it. So uh, the other day we made shepherd's pie. She was so excited, <laughs> but we didn't tell her. It was corn. <laughs> she didn't know any difference. She was perfectly happy. And she still doesn't know. We haven't told her, no. You know what? Good. She, she listens to this podcast, oh, so maybe no.
1: <laughs> okay. maybe this will be it. And you can cut that bit out if you want, but keep I it. I might
0: have to cut it out Look, just to keep the secret. If you,
1: if you keep it in, let me just say one thing. I can't believe you couldn't taste corn. It's disgusting. It's the worst one. Okay. It's the worst. I would get a soy alternative. I hate, I mean, my partner have a thing where, cause we, he only eats chicken. You won't eat other meat and I don't eat, I don't eat meat. So he buys corn and I just think it tastes like trainers. <laughs> you know, it just tastes, I just think it's, like, I just think it's awful. Um, so corn in particular, so ha- very naughty you replacing meat with something worse than meat. you know that's i know.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> even though my wife said to me i can't believe it it's disgusting how does she not know it's not lamb
1: yeah but i recommend using you get basically dehydrated soy
0: okay that's the one i'm going to use it's
1: super cheap get holland and barrett you get a big bag of it for one ninety nine.
0: and all that saved money i'm going to spend on my 12 pound casio <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> well, we should move on. We should put your Casio into the time capsule mm. and go for your next item. What is it?
1: Um, so this is, I don't know if I'll ever get famous enough to go on Desert Island Discs. This might be my Desert Island Discs, so I'm treating it like it. Okay. Um, and I've always thought, I know that when I go onto this island and I get asked, Athena, what are you going to take with you? I'm going to take with me a tub of shea butter if you don't know what shea butter is it's like cocoa butter but it's made out of uh, the fat that comes from the nut of the shea palm Mm -hmm. um, and it's used widely in West Africa specifically well known as being a Ghanaian product and I'm half Ghanaian and it is just the most wonderful skin product it's like rubbing butter into your skin it's like seasoning yourself (laughs) every time I come out of the shower and I rub and I've creamed myself with shea butter I do feel genuinely like I'm marinating myself and I'm about to go into the oven and I'm going to come out very delicious (laughs) It's a wonderful Mm. product and go in that time capsule so when people dig it up and they find it, they will realise how over-embellished we have made quite simple things in our life these days. You go to John Lewis or Debenhams or Boots or Superdrug and you just see... Bottles and bottles and containers and containers are things that are supposed to make you look young, feel good, get rid of your wrinkles, make you happy, make you intelligent. I think the promises they put on these creams are <laughs> just the, this, this cream will give you the answers to all of life's questions. This cream will make you man or woman attracted to you blah 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 blah. And I just think shave butter does all of this and it costs about I buy a kilo of it for 12 pounds really and it's the best thing and it is included in a lot of these products by the way you often see products with a bit of shea butter and then shea moisturizer but the actual pure thing is wonderful and it's the kind of thing that i sneak into my suitcase when i come back from ghana (laughs) and I i hope customs doesn't open a suitcase up it's a wonderful thing and i and i would like if the world ended and like i said aliens from pluto come and they find this thing floating in space i would like that to be recorded as, uh, as, a, as a human artifact that we use.
0: Uh, why should they um, miss out on it? Something so glorious. These
1: things are supposed to be reptiles. I think they would need a bit of moisture, yeah. actually. They'd probably, be, they'd probably appreciate it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's weird. And it's one of those things where I want the world to know about it, mm-hmm. but then I know when the world does know about it, I'll be really annoyed. And it will probably involve people who don't believe in it probably getting very rich off of it so i probably do i think i might want to keep it a little secret in that that we keep within the black community and the community of people who are, who are like minded and it will suddenly become like a kind of yeah, an absolute luxury item. Like a once I make Casio's really popular, you know, that's the end. That's the end of my twenty pound watches. Well, no, no but so.
0: you can see it as an investment. You've got them on your arm, you know. You've got the money. It's
1: true. Yeah. yeah, I got them when they were cheap. I got them when they were cheap. Yeah, yeah but there's always it, it tends to happen. I mean, I really like plantain. It's a being African and Caribbean. I'm doubly interested in plantain.
0: I've never eaten plantain.
1: I talk to people all the time, right, who tell me they've never eaten it. And I'm just like, how? I know. It's almost like telling me you've never tried rice before.
0: Yeah, I've known about it all my life. I've never, ever eaten it.
1: And it's wild. And you know what's funny? I have a podcast and it's a fundamental part of my podcast is people come to my house and I fry them planting. Uh, That's the thing.
0: I've got to do it because it's a ridiculous thing, isn't
1: it? It's mad that you haven't. And you're in, you're based in London, right?
0: No, I'm not. I live down in Tunbridge Wells.
1: Tun- you can get plants in Tunbridge Wells. I, I know this for a fact. You definitely can. Almost
0: without doubt at the end of my road.
1: Yeah, because my friend is from Barbados. And he wouldn't live in Tunbridge Wells if you couldn't get plants in there. Like, I know that for a fact. He right. would not have moved there. So that's how I know. Just make sure, because you're trying it for the first time, you don't want a green one, mm-hmm. right? You don't want a black, overripe one. You want a yellow one with black spots. Okay. Okay. The green ones are starchy. They'll be like eating a potato. Yeah. Um. The overripe ones are really soft that would be like eating almost savory ice cream really sweet really? um yeah but the the you know a yellow plantain with black spots if you fry that and you've got to use vegetable oil. Don't use um, like sunflower oil. You can't use olive oil. It's got to be a high temperature oil, right. um, and not too much oil. You don't need to deep fry them. You can shallow fry plantain, and that, that's absolutely fine. Because because we eat it all the time, and it, like I think there's a myth, bit of mythology, like it's an unhealthy thing. And it suddenly, don't you have to deep fry it. You just you know just shallow fry it. Mm. And we have something in Ghana called Kellywelly, right, where you cube it. You mix it up with ginger, garlic, and chili flakes. You fry it like that. Oh, sounds that great. goes with anything. That's a good little thing to do. But now I'm afraid. Now I've said this on this podcast, everyone's going to go out and buy plantain. It's expensive enough as it is. I think there's <laughs> a shortage oh, because of COVID. So maybe
0: <laughs> you're basically pushing the price up of Casio's plantain. <laughs> body cream, everything.
1: All the things that I love. This is a terrible idea.
0: And everybody's trying to buy red Run for London t-shirts on eBay now.
1: I'm going to be (laughs) excommunicated from my communities, (laughs) I think, for this. This is going to be, I'm going to get cancelled. This is a terrible thing. This is an awful idea. My daughter tried to warn me. She kept coming in, saying, Athena, shut up.
0: Stop talking to this man. He's the devil.
1: Yeah. And now she's given up. She's like, fine, ruin
0: your life. (laughs) Ruin your life.
1: Uh, Ruin the life of everybody you love.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, just you then we're going to put that into the time capsule but now we come to one thing that you want to get rid of from your life
1: i know exactly i'd like to get rid of my fear of failure Mm -hmm. yeah i'd love to get rid of that i i know i have a fear of failure and it's not necessarily a fear of failure so much that everything i do you know in my endeavors i always do them because i want them to do well Mm. you know that's always been in my brain and i've always said stop myself from doing things if I think, oh, there's a very low chance of success if I do this or whatever.
0: And yet you do stand-up. Stand-up is absolutely full of failure isn't
1: it? Yeah. Failure is part of the process yeah. of stand-up. If you don't fail and don't interrogate your failure you don't improve mm. and it's a constant cycle so even I've been a stand-up for a long time now and I've you know i sent some material to um, somebody this morning and i thought to myself this might probably fail. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> they might hate it yeah. and, they, and if they do I have to learn from that and get better. That's just the nature of does this make you laugh or does it not make you laugh? Mm. If it doesn't make you laugh it's no good and the only way you can know that is to put your work under that kind of scrutiny where there will always be a risk that it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. If I write a joke the only way I can know if it's any good is if I stand up in front of 100 people and I go, my mother-in-law or whatever it is I've decided to write about that day. So I think because I got into stand-up fairly late in life. Mm. I was 31, which is a little older than... People do it at that age, but generally, I mean, there were people I know who started when they were 18, you know, yes. which amazes me. I would never have had the maturity to be a stand-up when I was 18.
0: Maybe they don't.
1: <laughs> well, so, um, no comment. Um, <laughs> no comment on that. But I, I love them all the same, man. It's all it's all great, isn't it? Mm. But I um, by the time I was 31, I'd had so much confirmation from the people around me in my personal and professional life that I probably had a way with words and a way of looking at things that would work in a comedy world that was kind of like my buffer yeah. into doing something with that and making it a little less high risk. I don't get that get me wrong if I was to show you my first book of jokes you would just be mortified. It'd be awful. Just <laughs> absolute garbage. Just just the most yeah, if they was to be found now Twitter would have a field day. They'd just be like <laughs> you just you know, Piers Morgan would come out and have a go at me. That's how bad it would have been. It would be. So I was still bad, but I always knew that there was probably a foundation there that would create uh, somebody who could be good in that creative field. Yeah. But generally speaking, I don't like to get into things unless I know with a high degree, because I think those things are going to work out really well. And for that reason, it took me a long time to get into scripted comedy because I thought, oh, I'd be really bad at it or... You know, and even then, like I said, like I was thirty-one when I started doing comedy, but I would have—I probably could have started it five years earlier. You yeah. know, there was no reason for me not to. And there was still, you know, like I write things now, and I think, should I send them to this person? Oh no, no, I'll wait until it's a bit better.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And now I, I try and live my life through a philosophy of get it done and then get it right. Yeah. You know, and that's what I'm trying to do. But it would really help if you could just take and extract this fear of failure from me right now so rather than trying to do it it becomes a natural part of my life yeah fear of failure is a silly thing because when you fail at something no one cares (laughs) literally unless of course you're trying to launch a spaceship and it explodes and lots of people care about that um but generally speaking most of our things are quite low risk you know you bake a cake and it comes out and it looks like you've eaten it already and it's just come out of the oven you know like it's no one cares no Um, and even in
0: comedy i think there's a certain joy in a failed joke
1: absolutely because there's no fourth wall in comedy so sometimes when a joke fails something happens in the room that you can just make Funny,
0: yeah. <laughs> because you're revealing a vulnerability, which actually will endear you to an audience. I think.
1: Oh, absolutely. Self-awareness is really important most of the time, and some of the times the audience is wrong, and I tell them about I tell them <laughs> if they're wrong.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> sometimes they're wrong, and sometimes they're right. But I, I, you know, I've very much have learned to be so comfortable on stage, and I don't mind saying things that people think is garbage, especially because you get so good at comedy. If you say one thing that's not funny, you've got a hundred things in your back pocket that are. <laughs> so you can scatter. You know, you can scatter. crap amongst the gold, you
0: know? Yeah. Um, That thing of knowing that the audience is wrong is also a good sense to have, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a writer called David Nobbs who wrote a thing called Reggie Perrin. I
1: know Reggie Perrin, yes, yes.
0: And Leonard Rossiter was the star of Reggie Perrin, an an old actor. And there was a joke that Leonard Rossiter wanted to do in one of the television programmes. And David Nobbs said, it's not funny. And he said, no, it is funny. It's really, I promise you, let me do it. It'll get a big laugh. And he did it. And it went to complete silence. So afterwards, David said to him, I told you it didn't work. I told you it wasn't funny. And he said, no, no, it is funny. They just don't know it's funny.
1: Exactly, yeah. If Leonard Roster can say that, and I love the way you, had to, you felt that you had to explain who he was. I'm really old, Michael. It's very sweet that <laughs> you think I don't know him. Ah!
0: I explain almost everything I talk about to everybody because I assume that nobody knows my world.
1: Let me take that as a compliment, okay? Please, I haven't been complimented all day. It's my compliment. Okay. I'm having it. <laughs> if he can say that, I'll say it. Um, but you do get you do get a good sense. Sometimes the audience is just tired. Sometimes the act before you's been terrible, and they're just like, "I just want to go home." Yeah. Um, and sometimes it is me, but sometimes it isn't. I'd say fifty-fifty.
0: <laughs> well, I don't think you need to have any fear of failure. I think you have a great future ahead of you.
1: Oh, bless you, Michael. Thank- Thank you. And I
0: look forward to watching it. So, uh, Athena, thank you so much for doing this. and for. Thank you. It's been really, really fun talking to you. And I look forward to coming around and having plantain one day.
1: Absolutely. If I can afford it,
0: you know. <laughs> Once the price goes times up. Times
1: are getting tough. So you better come around quickly <laughs> because I think the, the inflation will start as soon as you put this podcast out.
0: <laughs> thank you very much.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Athena Kubleno. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe to it and download all episodes for free on Acast, CastBox, Apple, Spotify, or, well, wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You just search for My Time Capsule or for me. This has been a cast-off production. The producer was John Fenton-Stevens. The music is by Pass the Peas Music. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm feeling a little bit broody, so I'm off to FaceTime my grandkids. Keep well.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.